Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Pro One Dialogue. My name is Danny Servic, and I hope this finds you well. I hope that uh, as you listen, that you uh, and your family and friends, wherever you may be, uh, are, are fighting the good fight as we get through uh, COVID-19. And I hope that all of us continue to stay safe, stay home uh, when advised, and where we can get back to the things that we love, uh, and in particular to uh, to our base here, to sports, um, and specifically to basketball, uh, and in in however that looks, from the finishing the NBA season to starting the WNBA season to starting the travel season for for kids, and then as we make our way into the month of June for high school coaches. In high school players, and then before we know it, we'll be here in August for the college season. So um, I hope everybody feels well, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and um, am looking forward to uh, turning on the television and seeing games and turning on uh, Twitter and, and other social platforms and seeing clips of kids playing basketball uh, all over the world. So um, with that, uh, I could not be happier to, uh, to bring this week's, week's episode to you um, with someone that I have always been just an incredible fan of from her playing days uh, at UConn uh, and just as really someone that ha- I think has been a pioneer for the sport and has really carried that torch now in the next phase of her career behind the microphone for ESPN, and that's the great Rebecca Lobo. Um, and just have a great visit with her, um, and just from rolling all the way back to her days before uh, UConn, and then obviously uh, her time there playing for legendary coach Gino Ariema and how her her team you know she won the first national title for the Huskies back in 1995 which was also the first of their uh perfect seasons when she went 35 and 0 was national player of the year went right from that into the uh US national team in which they won the Olympic gold medal in 96 from that then was a springboard into launching the WNBA in 1997 um she's a member of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame she's a member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame uh, just earlier this year, uh, when we could gather, she was inducted into the uh, NCAA Silver, Silver Anniversary uh, Award winner. Um, she's just fantastic. Her jersey was the first retired at UConn basketball, men's or women's, before Ray Allen. And one of the things that uh, here in recent years that where I've been such a fan of hers is just her voice in the platform and, and pertaining to us, too, with... Uh, with the development of youth basketball and just her approach. She's a tremendous Twitter follower at Rebecca Lobo. Um, 
and is constantly putting out really good messages, um, thoughts, uh, and encourage on that. Uh, so for today, uh, grab your cup of coffee, get you a drink, get your notepad, snuggle up in a good chair, um, put on the headphones, and, and, and I hope you enjoy the words of Rebecca Lobo. So as a kid that grew up uh, here in the Southeast that was raised by parents that felt like I was trapped down here, my mom was born in Connecticut and Bristol and my dad, New York City, and uh, obviously I was born in upstate New York before moving down here, I I may have been drawn to following um, this week's guest a little bit more so than, than normal just because of, you know, playing at UConn and so forth, and then to this day now, I'm 49 years old, I still get presents or from my kids now from my cousin Beth up in Connecticut of whatever the greatest, latest UConn basketball t-shirt is and have 25 plus years of, uh, of swag. So it, it brings me incredible joy um, to have on this week, um, which her list of accolades goes on and on and on, but I just like to just think of her as one of the, the true pioneers of women's basketball the great Rebecca Lobo. Rebecca, thank you so much for uh, for joining me this week. My pleasure. It sounds like you have more UConn t-shirts than I do. I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I do. I, I used to think like, all right, here's the present. Which one are we going to have this year? And, and uh, no, it is uh, the Huskies have been, um, you know, been a part of my upbringing uh through my life of, of following the sport. And then obviously, uh, so a lot, a lot of joy and a lot of levels to, uh, to be able to visit with you and catch up. Um, first of all, I know we are in the middle right now of when people are, uh, listening to this of, of COVID-19, you and the family, I, I, I trust and hope that everybody's well up in the Northeast with you, around you. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing all right. It's a little bit crazy because, uh, you know, we live in Connecticut and Connecticut has the third, you know, the state with the third most cases and deaths uh, in the country behind New York and New Jersey. So um, it's this weird world that we're in, but at the, at the same time, um, you know, we're, one of the nice things about living in the suburbs is we can still go out for walks. We can go out for hikes. We can, um, do that sort of thing and, and remain socially distant from people. But certainly my kids are missing their friends. They're missing their sports. They're missing their normal life. Um, as we all try to navigate through what, uh, what we're going through right now. Yeah, no, that's, well, that's good. I, and we're kind of the same that we, my wife and I joke, we, we've now kind of try to figure out what's the best time of day to go walk in the neighborhood because it's like everyone's got this awkwardness across in the street and how many people are on the road or all right, we'll let them stay on the sidewalk. And it's, uh, it's great to have that sense of kind of community to like, I didn't know they lived in our neighborhood and we've lived here 15 years. And so, um, I, but I get the, the part of, uh, of wanting to get back. I have two boys and, and, and kind of get the same sense of that as well too. Um, but, uh, I'm glad all, I'm glad all is, uh, everybody's healthy. So, um, well, listen, I, uh, it's funny. Uh, so kind of my, my desire to, to, to have you on to visit started back. I, by the way, for people that don't follow you, your Twitter game is amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I 
Rebecca, I mean, I, I recommend everybody go follow. Um, but you had a tweet on December 14th that was the thing that kind of really drew me in because this podcast, uh, a lot of it is really geared towards uh, the development of basketball and in, 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 in whether it's children or whether it is in high school coaches or, or whatnot. And you had a tweet that uh, just really resonated with me um, where you wrote that that you, you coach five, I think I'm kind of paraphrasing, but something along, you coach five youth teams combining both boys and girls um, in grades. I think it was four through eight. And you had played yeah. a, a collection of games and you had not faced a single position of man-to-man defense and, and zone. And so like that just kind of drew me to like, man, she's kind of speaking my language of what I want to talk about. Now, obviously, since then, we have d- rolled through a bunch of the world and, and, and Kobe's passing, which I want to visit with that because there's a connect to UConn, obviously, um, in the virus. But that was kind of where I'd like to kind of get to. But as before we kind of get to that point, I'd really just love in, in each week when we have someone to, to, to just kind of share how they fell in love with the sport, how they what how it became their passion. Um, and then you just the list, it just, you know, can kind of go on and on. I'm trying to try to keep it between the lines of, of where we want to go. But just talk about growing up, playing basketball. I know you played other sports and just how you fell in love and then how uh, – and, and, and I want to visit some with, obviously, how you got to UConn. Yeah, sure. I am um, – I'm from – I grew up in South Southwick, Massachusetts, which is a small town in, in the western part of the state of Massachusetts. And um, it's actually only a couple of miles from where I live now in Connecticut, right on the Connecticut border. Um, but I was the youngest of three kids. I have an older brother who's uh, six years older than me, a sister who's two years older than me. And um, I was just like the tag along little sister. Uh, we lived, you know, the, that town, you know, it's not like we had neighbors nearby. I, I wasn't playing with other kids in the neighborhood. Most of my childhood was an attempt to not be bored. And, um, and I loved sports. And my brother played sports. And my sister played sports. So I was kind of the tag along little sister. I'd sometimes go with my brother. And he'd go play football with his friends, Nerf football. Um, but at some point, um, my, my dad put a basketball hoop up in our driveway. And, um, and I loved it. I just loved, I loved the solitary nature of it. But you could also get something accomplished. I, I, just, I enjoyed playing um, just in my own driveway. And I was also really tall. My brother is extraordinarily tall. My brother is 6'11". He played basketball at Dartmouth. Um, and so, you know, I was watching his games when I was a kid. I was out playing. And uh, I don't think I played on a team until I was like third or fourth grade. Um, but I, I just loved it. And I think partly because I was good at it. And um, it was a, it was something that gave a, a kind of an awkward, extraordinarily tall girl um, confidence. And it, and it helped me feel good about myself because I was good at basketball. Helped me feel good about being taller than everybody else. Um, and I would just go out in my driveway and play. And then when I started playing park and rec when I was in elementary school, um, all the way through middle school, I just loved it. And I was good at it and um, enjoyed watching my brother and sister play as well. So um, that's how it started. Just kind of a natural, I, I really enjoy doing this. I like shooting hoops in my driveway, even though my driveway was, you know, little pebbles. We didn't have a paved driveway. So sometimes you'd be dribbling and it would hit the, hit the rock <laughs> long and all of a sudden you're down getting the ball out of the pricker bushes. Um, but like, that's what it was. And, uh, and, and, and even like when I was in college and in later on in WNBA or whatever, like there was always something I loved about the solitary nature of going out, whether in a driveway or in a gym or somewhere and just me and my basketball shooting around, wouldn't even play music. It was just a great place to kind of escape into my brain and into my thoughts, into my own little world. And, um, 
while at the same time, you know, watching the ball go through the hoop. But there's something that was really special about that to me. That's awesome. I, I, and that's it's, it's interesting when you a couple of things you said in that with one of the things in trying to find positives of what we're kind of going through right now and is just kids shooting outside again, you know, and it's so in, in getting back to hopefully where, cause they can't go, everybody has trainers, everybody has skill developers, everybody has that to where it's like, you can't do that right now. And so where, you know, the, a lot of my friends have heard me say that, you know, the great thing about basketball is you don't, no one has to throw you batting practice. You know, there's, you don't have to have passes if you're going out or somebody to kick with, it's just you and the ball and you can get out there and, and work on your game. And, the joy of, of, of hopefully kids just having to do that, put on their AirPods, put on whatever, and just figure it out and just go outside. And I, I love seeing uh, all the different pictures of um, kids outside shooting and just hopefully kind of learning to do that on their own again. And to when I think that I think that's one of the many byproducts, hopefully, that will come out of this, right? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, because I mean, there was a, a, tr- a true joy that I got out of it as a kid, and there was something pure about it. And, and yeah, you didn't need to get on the phone and see if anybody could come and shoot with you. You just did it. And um, yeah, it's <laughs> my kids haven't found their way outside too much just because it's the weather up here has not <laughs> been very good. Um, but uh, yeah, like to try to let them know, like. Anytime you want to get better at basketball, because we have a hoop in our driveway, all you got to do is pick up the ball and go outside. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. Just yeah. just the ball. And, um, you know, th- that, that's the, one of the beauties of it. So uh, let's um, – so obviously now we're in this – in 2020 where, you know, UConn women's basketball is just the – it's the total stamp of just, you know, the closest thing to just – dynasty dominance perfection just unbelievable in in coach Oriyama, which i want to pick your brain on some in a little bit but um but when you came out you're a high school american and in in and you had to have your uh options of everywhere to go play um and obviously down here in the south where i live with with coach summit in tennessee they were going through a stretch where they were the number one team in the country and of course there's the the for people that are fans of yours have followed the great picture of you when you guys beat them in January of your senior season of, uh, of the number ones in the air. I think you had a great, uh, somewhere I saw something where you were joking about how one of your kids was just horrified by the picture of, of, of you doing that. And I, I think for that game, but be, how did you like to so talk about the journey for you to, to, to go to UConn? Was it something as simple as, Hey, it was right up by where you lived, or there had to be Coach Summit had to come call. Like, t- just talk a little about how you ended up at UConn, because Coach Oriyama had had been there. I think he got there in '85, so he had established the program and it was going. But it wasn't just this no-brainer necessarily, like the equivalent of the men's side to like a Duke of Carolina yet, right? Yeah, it was U- UConn, and you know, I graduated high school in 1991, so I was being recruited in '89, '90. You know, in that time frame, and UConn was not what they are now that's for sure um back in those days they were starting to establish themselves as one of the top programs in the big east conference one of the top programs in the northeast but certainly they didn't have a national presence yet um they had just opened i think in 1989 or 1990 they just opened gamble pavilion which was you know one of the new nice um on-campus arenas in the country it's where they still play excuse me but yeah it's I was, my, my brother was recruited. Um, he, he ended up playing at Dartmouth. So he, he was recruited relatively heavily. 
Um, and when I went to a basketball camp at Dartmouth when I was in middle school, uh, my parents told me later that the, the coaches there said to my parents, you, you know, your son got recruited pretty heavily, but you haven't seen anything because your daughter is really going to get recruited. So I did. I got recruited from schools all over the country. I actually did not get recruited by Tennessee. Um, they signed a, a, a center named Vonda Ward in my same recruiting class. So okay. um I, I did not get, but I did get recruited by, uh, it's funny, Coach Landers, Coach Andy Landers, who was a legendary coach at the University of Georgia, sure. uh, recruited me. And um, in the last few years, he and I have sat together in studio at ESPN um, as part of the studio show for women's college basketball. So he and I joke around um, uh, because, you know, our relationship goes back 30 years when he recruited me out of high school. But, um, but actually, I, I did not want to. I did not in my brain. I didn't. I did not want to stay close to home. The other, the other schools I was seriously considering were um, uh, Notre Dame, <clears throat> Stanford, uh, Virginia, Northwestern. Like I thought, I, I want to get away from home. And uh, even though I grew up in Massachusetts, both of my parents were school teachers in Connecticut, actually in the town where I live now. My mother was a guidance counselor, and at the time, she really did not want me to go to UConn because. In her brain, you know, she's like, you can go to Stanford and get a full scholarship. You can go to Notre Dame. You can go to Northwestern. You can go to all of these elite academic institutions. UConn is a safety school. And that's what it was in those days. It's not anymore. UConn's academic reputation is um, is really, really good now. But in those days, it was sort of seen as, as a safety school. So my parents did not want me to go there. But um, I just loved um, – the team there. I loved Coach Oriama and Chris Bailey. Um, I enjoyed my conversations with them. They, you know, when when they were recruiting me, I wasn't sitting on the phone and them, you know, pitching me about their program. They got to know me. I got to know them a little bit. I, I, I they, they were funny. Um, they were real. You know, Coach Oriama never said to me, you know, you're gonna start on this team you're going to play this much he just said you know you're going to get what you earn just like every player you're going to play as much as you deserve to play and um and there was something also really intriguing to me about trying to help a program get somewhere they hadn't been before and and i remember even saying that you know when i decided to go there i want to help them get somewhere they hadn't been before and then that's my senior year in high school and then that year they go to their first final four (laughs) but um but i just i mean to be honest if Coach Oriama and Chris Daly were at any other school in the country. That is where I would have gone. I desperately wanted to play for those two people. And, um, and, and I was a really good student in high school. And um, I, I just felt like no matter where I go, I'm going to get out of my education, whatever I put into it. Like if I want to, if I want to um, get a really good education, I will. And so, and I feel like I really did at UConn. Um, but basically it boiled down to, I knew basketball was going to be a big part of my college experience. I really wanted to play for those two people, and that's why I chose to go there. No, that's great. And, and could you tell? I, you know, this is probably a, a ridiculous question, but like at the time you're there, um, and you're going just. And I guess part of the answer is probably going to be yes, because you said you would have wanted to go play wherever he was. But could you just tell the genius of just how good he was? Of like, and because that's and where I'm kind of. I mean, kind of weave through to him because, like, one of the things that I think you've done just, just so remarkably well on the media side now and with ESPN is you have a very, um, I wouldn't say a Craig Sagerish because it's different with Popovich, but like you're, you're the way you click with him, uh, whether it's in game, whether it's with a studio thing, like anytime you talk, because I just think the guy is just from a, from afar, just kind of brilliant. Like he's in the, the same thing of where like 
Coach Saban at Alabama or whether it's Coach K or whether it's Belichick. He is just the, the top of the top of coaching. Could you kind of, when you're in the moment there and you're kind of going through it and you go through the journey from your freshman year to the, the, the first of his uh, undefeated, undefeated seasons when you guys go 35-0 and 0 and win it, like, could you tell how, you know, could you sense you're in the brilliance, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I, certainly not early on because, you know, like when I, when I chose to go to UConn, uh, when, when kids go there now, they know that his process works because they've won 11 national championships and he's had a countless number of player of the years and Olympians and WNBA players. Like even through the hard times, you know, it works because you've, you've seen the proof of that. When I went there, there was no proof of that yet. You know, he didn't have any All-Americans yet. Um, he didn't have any Olympians. They hadn't won any national championships. I just knew that there was something special and different about him. I didn't, I didn't know what it was yet, but I knew there was something different about him than anybody else who was recruiting me to come to their school. Part of it was just his honesty. You know, like, mm-hmm. he, he, he wasn't trying to sell anything. He was just honest. And, and when I went to UConn, I had some real struggles. I think... A, you know, my first two years there, it was really, really hard. And I didn't know if, you know, should I transfer? Should I, should I, you know, like, why is, why is this guy never happy with me (laughs) and what I'm doing on the basketball court? And, you know, it wasn't until I matured um, my junior and senior year and really started to understand what it meant to work hard and to what it, what it meant to be mentally tough that I understood kind of his methods. And so it takes, it took me two years. It takes a long time especially when you're 18 or 19 years old and, and, and in that part of your life, it takes a long time to understand the process and, and what this coach is doing um, as you are also, you know, maturing just as a human being. So um, I, I didn't, I didn't know that he, there was going to be something special that was going to happen beyond even what my time there. But now in hindsight, there's no part of me that is surprised. He is different from everybody else. His practices are different from everyone else's. His shoot-arounds are different. Like, everything he does is different, and it's harder, and it's um, mentally more draining, but that's why he's able to get the results he can get. And and, and, and a lot of it is to his personality. Um, you know he cares about you, and uh, – and even when things are really tough and he's being really hard, you know he cares, and um, and it's genuine. And so other people can't just try to be like him because you're not you're not that. He is just being who he is, and um, and it's and it's remarkable. No, oh, that's great. When you think back now, um, gosh, I guess like you said, thirty years to, to the to that season uh, where you, where you go undefeated. So that had to be kind of neat. So you beat Tennessee in January for the first time when they're number one, and then you have to play them again to win the title. Like, um, just the whole the building up of that is that something that's still um, because I feel a little bit now. You say you said they've had eleven national titles, and it's almost you know if, if they uh, don't win by a certain margin or if they lose a game, it's kind of like man, what's wrong? Like, you, you, if you roll back to that, can you still kind of just remember and just like how special and, and for him, I would imagine too. That that being the first one in, in, in the fir- the first of everything, the first of the undefeated seasons, first of titles, like that's that still has to be something that resonates with you of of how incredible it was now as you look as how his his career has gone, right? 
Yeah, yeah, without question. I think one of the beauties of that first of that year too, that first national championship, is it wasn't like an expectation from people on the outside. So we got all of the benefit of this undefeated season and the fans going crazy and the state of Connecticut just falling in love with our team without any of the weight of their expectations. You know, if we had lost the game that season, I I don't think any of the fans would have felt like, you know, the world was ending. But now when they lose the game, that's sort of what they have built. And that's what the expectation has become. But that didn't exist then. So we got kind of that year because it was the first, we got all of the benefit of people riding along on this amazing ride for the first time. Um, but without, you know, the criticism and, you know, this is an era before social media. So it's without, you know, every single move that the players uh, making being scrutinized. So it really was an, an idyllic time for me and for the program. Um, and I would assume for the coaching staff as well. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in one of the, the, the things that I've always loved about your story, um, is, how and I, and I use the word kind of pioneer because I just I just really view you that uh, in the women's game uh, in, from a number of different areas. But if you look just on the on the playing uh, side from at UConn, and then you you roll right from that national title, if I'm not mistaken, right into them preparing for the national team for the '96 Olympics. And for a lot of people that don't they didn't follow it or or you know that aware. I mean that was a a a, a massive. Uh, undertaking because the WNBA was then launching in schedule in 97 and I think probably um going through it you probably felt a lot of weight on you that like we really need to do well and win to kind of help launch the league to shove off the dock right so I mean you you went from winning title right into another first that then had to have a whole nother set of expectations I would imagine yeah for sure and 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 it wasn't even so much the um the expectation of like launching a, a, a professional league or launching a WNBA to us, an even bigger weight was the fact that the, um, the United States women's team hadn't won the gold in 1992, uh, you know, for the first time in however long, you know, we're supposed to be the dominant country in basketball and in women's basketball. And they won the bronze in 92. So the biggest weight was we have to win gold period. And so, um, yeah, I graduated from UConn and we trained for an entire year together and and, in intense training. We were together at least three weeks every month, um, traveling the U.S., traveling, you know, in China, in Russia, in Europe. Um, We were together and uh, with very few breaks. And um, and and it was because anything other than gold was going to be unacceptable. The Olympics were in Atlanta. They were in the U.S. This was happening. And then coinciding with that um, kind of on the periphery of it was the fact that the marketing arm of USA basketball is the same. It was NBA entertainment. So they were heavily involved with our national team and formulating this WNBA that, you know, we were hearing about, but hadn't been, uh, you know, formally announced at least early on in our tour. So there was a lot going on that was riding on the success of this, uh, this national team that, you know, but we just knew we had to win the gold. And, um, and there was a tremendous amount of pressure I know on our coaching staff for that and, and on us as well. Yeah. Uh, that's, and now, uh, I mean, that was, uh, as, as we were visiting beforehand, you know, one of my, uh, favorite watches of this, uh, I hate to call it the new normal cause I'm ready to kind of get back to the, the the uh, just the normal but the WNBA draft on a Friday night and televised and going through and watching and, and you kind of 
blink into where how how that's how that's gone. But you know, back in '97 uh, when it launches, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they just assigned players, right? There wasn't a draft per se, and and maybe there there was, but you're obviously were with the the New York Liberty. Um, and so the, essentially the, at that time, the hometown team before the, the Connecticut franchise. So that, like that had to be just kind of an, another in the line of this weird, you know, unique two year stretch for you of just really surreal. Yeah. It's I, like at the time I remember thinking like, I'm just like this pawn in, um, in a higher beings game and I'm really, really enjoying it because it couldn't have gone any more perfect <laughs> for me. You know, we win a national championship of 95. The Olympics happen to be the next year. Then the WNBA starts the following season. Like all of these childhood dreams that I could have had uh, were just like lining up perfectly for me. And, and, and you know, that, so much of that was just um, I benefited from the timing of it all. But, yeah, the first year of the WNBA. Um, so Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, and I were the three players from the national team that signed to, to play um, with the WNBA. The other nine women on the Olympic team all played in the ABL, which was another professional league that was starting at the same time. They actually started in the fall of 1996. So anyway, how, how it worked in the early, in the first year of the WNBA is, uh, you know, WNBA went and signed um, a bunch of the top players uh, around the world, but they were also competing for players because many of these women were playing in the ABL instead. Um, so every team, I think, got allocated two players. So there's eight, eight teams the first year of the WNBA. Two players got allocated to each team. And then after that was when they had a draft where Tina Thompson was the, um, was the first player taken. So, uh, yeah, for me to be in New York, not too far from uh, where I grew up in New England, it was like another dream come true. And uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's fun for me now as I cover the WNBA or you bring up the WNBA draft that we did, you know, all of these kids, when they were born, there was a league. They don't know what life is like without a WNBA. And, and those early years for us, so much of, 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 um, our experience was what, what do you need us to do? What do you need us to do? We, We were just trying to not only win games, but make sure there was going to be a league in existence the following season. We were really in tune to that because all of our lives, we had grown up without this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we, we were treated, we wanted to treat this thing, this league and cherish this league and make sure it was here, not only for us, but years down the road. And um, it's, it's, it's a great thing that now, these players have come along since they could turn on or, or watch a TV or watch the, you know, a game on their device. There's been a league and, um, and that's a, that's a pretty cool thing for them. Yeah. Which, which then, and we don't have to roll it because I know this story has been told often and, and seen, but I, one of my all time favorite things, uh, of you that I've read and obviously I've heard it, uh, uh, numerous times, uh, is how you met your husband. And uh, when when the league was beginning, this one in, in Steve Russian was writing for Sports Illustrated. Um, I, I just I love that story. I, I I love the the story of how you just kind of he uh, makes a joke of how many people are at a game asleep and how and and <laughs> we'll let people do a deep dive because I'm sure you've told the story a hundred times if not more. But that is for that people aren't familiar with that they can in their quarantine time, pull it up because that is just awesome. And I love how you guys, you two came together because it would have been right in those early years of the WNBA, right? Yeah, that would have been, um, I think I met Steve in 
2000, 2001, okay. somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, even today, like it's a little bit different today because social media puts everything right in the palm of your hand if you're looking for it. But, yeah. you know, it's just something with women's sports. You know, people like to crap on women's sports because to them it's an easy thing to do and, mm-hmm. and it's an easy punchline or whatever. Um, in those days, you know, the it, you couldn't do it as easily because you could you could write about it in a magazine or you could have a comment versus now, you know, you just look at somebody's mentions on Twitter. Um, but, you know, it's the the funny thing to me is um, like, especially in the WNBA, the quality of basketball is really, really good. There's only um, 12 teams in the WNBA. That means there's 144 jobs. It is to be on a WNBA roster. You have to be the elite, the best of the best. It's one of the percentage wise in terms of number of people playing a sport versus the number of roster spots available to play professionally. It's one of the most difficult pro um, coached uh, organizations in, in terms of making a roster. And, um, Last year, I was calling the WNBA Finals. It was the Connecticut Sun versus the Washington Mystics. It went to a five. Uh, the WNBA Finals are five-game series. It won all five games. The play on the court was ridiculous. Really, really, really good basketball. And um, like a week or two later, I, I sit down and I put the, the TV on, and it's um, and I'm watching an NBA preseason game. And I'm just watching this. I'm like, this is trash compared to what I was just watching. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with early season college men's and women's Mm -hmm. games. Like that compared to the best of the best at the end of the WNBA season, it's not even a comparison. Like it's, you know, people can say, again, because people like to to crap on women's sports because it, it can be an easy punchline. If you like basketball and you sit down and watch a WNBA a playoff game in particular, it is really, really good. And it is such high quality. And if, and if people want to you know, comment on it, go ahead and comment on it because what we're actually watching is, um, is very different from, from anything that um, somebody could say. Like, it's just – it's such elite hoops. And um, – Anyway, I don't know. I got from point A to point B. No, I love that. No, that's no. And and like, and and I don't even like if I'm not somebody who goes into the mentions and reads all that stuff that that people skew because women's basketball is really taking off. And and it's at a place right now. And I'm really hoping we get to have a season this year because I feel like we're at a launching point for the popularity of the sport. People are recognizing. how good it is, whether it's at the college level or the pro level, it's getting covered more than it ever has before. Part of that is because, you know, so many more outlets um, online and other places where you can find the information you're looking for. But, um, and, and you get NBA guys coming to games, you get NBA guys watching games and tweeting about it, including LeBron, including, you know, Kobe. Um, it's, you know, they recognize that this is really high quality hoops and, um, and hopefully other people will too because uh, it's it's such good basketball. No, that that's it, that that takes us to the part that it, it, I had questions kind of going off in my head that I I th- think it's really interesting. Love to get your 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 input on. And so obviously you mentioned Kobe, and it, it's an interesting um, you know with with his passing in the end of January. And I know you know you have to go through on some level. And, and by the way, that was another just amazing moment by. Uh, by Gino at at the tribute to that was just uh, uh, incredible and just showed you how 
just fantastic he was and spoke about it and, and with his daughter and in hopes of coming to UConn. But it, it almost seems that even in his death, that that almost kind of helped as another uh, not not launch to it, but just another like bring attention to like how good it was. That here's this guy that is one of the all time greats and was in his his post playing career phase was was amazing and it was seemed to be from just outside looking in going to be a huge champion of women's basketball of 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 everything you just kind of said like just kind of talk a little bit about and you probably know uh, uh much more kind of behind the scenes of a lot of it just how you think his even in his death how that can affect and impact and, and, and carry the women's sport forward even more so yeah i think those of us um who really follow women's basketball closely felt like that was going to be his next legacy you know, he was, had really become a champion of women's basketball um, and, and because of Gigi and because of, uh, you know, his role as a dad of girls um, and coaching her team on a few different levels. One, you know, he was coaching um, the Mamba team. And so he's coaching these girls and, and he's coaching his daughter. And, and she, Gigi was a huge women's basketball fan. You know, she would go to UConn, uh, went to UConn game, or he would take her. I did a few WNBA games where they were there. And, and the amazing thing to me was to kind of see her looking at these um, women the way everybody else in the arena was looking at her dad. You know, like she was just looking up to whether it was Katie Lou Samuelson at UConn or Diana Taurasi playing with the Phoenix Mercury. Like those were the players that she was idolizing. And Kobe was friends with so many of them and um, had so much respect for them. You know, Diana Taurasi sets the all-time scoring record a couple of years ago in the WNBA. Kobe's there and he goes in the locker room afterwards, you know, to talk to her and um, because they're, they're friends from their days with the Olympics and he just respects what she's just accomplished. Um, he, uh, he brings Gigi to a UConn game because it's senior night and her favorite players are Katie Lou Samuelson and um, Gabby Williams. And so she wants to be at that game um, to see two players that she's idolized. And, and, you know, she had said along the way, you know, she wanted to play for Coach Oriema and she wanted to play at UConn. Um, and last year, last summer, the WNBA All-Star Game was in Vegas and Kobe was courtside with Gigi. Um, he he respected what these women were doing and, uh, you know, became a mentor for Sabrina Ionescu at, at Oregon. And, and I think part of it started because he was coaching his daughter and saw you know, the way she viewed these women. But I think it also was because he, you know, was watching women's basketball, whether he was at the Olympics or during the summer in his off season, he was watching the WNBA and appreciated um, what was happening on the court. So he was certainly becoming a fixture um, in terms of um, a person who uh, was, um, promoting the women's game, the college game and the WNBA game. And you, you could see that that was only going to grow as Gigi grew. And, um, and so I think a lot of people took note of that. And, and even with his passing, we're thinking, all right, you know, this is, let's help continue to promote um, this legacy of his. And, and this was like the next legacy was helping grow the women's game. Oh, that's well said. In, 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 in that, um, Sabrina Inescu, she's fantastic. I mean, like she is, um, 
And you're talking about uh, Coach Landers, and you guys do the in studio stuff. You, you you did a couple breakdowns. Uh, I remember one uh, in particular before Oregon played UConn, and just the whole breakdown of I think it, it, her playing the pick and roll, and, and just through the game, and, and and like she's just she's a play. I mean, she's just a great basketball player. And and talk about you know, in in as as the women's game moves forward in the WNBA season, and, and her like what. <laughs> How do you think she can kind of carry that forward? Because obviously, uh, in her, like you said, her relationship with Kobe um, is is in in terms of what that looks like, like the next phase uh, for her on the professional level. Yeah, like Sabrina, um, you know, I, I assume most people who are listening to this podcast are basketball people, sports people, so they've you know seen her in some fashion, whether it's on highlights or whether it's a full game. But what is striking about Sabrina? Um, not only, I mean, she's phenomenal in the pick and roll. She delivers the basketball right at the right time. Um, you know, even in the smallest window, she will get you the ball if, if there's an availability to do so. But what everybody talks about with her is her competitiveness. Like when I was playing, um, I played, you know, my first five years in the WNBA, I was with the New York Liberty. And then I played a year in Houston and then I finished my career with the Connecticut Sun. And when I was in Houston, I was on a team with Tina Thompson and Cheryl Swoops. Um, and when we would finish practice, you know, we would usually finish with a scrimmage or that sort of thing. This is the first time I was on a team where at the end of practice, if Cheryl or Tina's team didn't win, they, they said to the coach, no, practice isn't over. We're going to run it back. <laughs> like practice did not end until those two players said it ended because their team won. I'd never been on a team where where the coach lets the players run it like that, but also where where the players ran it like that, and that's the the ones who are that competitive. They can't even end a regular season practice um, by losing a drill. You have to win it, and that's I think what separates like the really great players, Tina and Cheryl being two of them, and and Sabrina is like that. And you know, coaches kept talking about her competitive fire, competitive fire. And Kelly Graves, the coach at Oregon, would talk about she lives and breathes basketball. Like you know, she that's what she wants to do. She's watching NBA, she's watching WNBA, she's watching men's and women's college. She's watching basketball because she lives and breathes it and loves it. And I think you get that when you see a player like Diana Taurasi or somebody like Sue Bird. And, and the reason I bring up those names, too, is, like, Sabrina's got great size for a guard. You know, she's 5'11", but she's not the quickest. She's not the fastest. She's not, like, this incredible specimen, specimen of an athlete that, you you know, has just become good at basketball. She's got, you know, this, the gifts, you know, she was born with gifts that many people probably are. Uh, you know, Sue and Diana aren't the fastest. They're not, you know, the, the quickest and all that, but they're two of the best who have ever done it. And, um, and I think that's what Sabrina can be too, because of her competitiveness, because of the amount of time she spends in the gym, because she loves being there, uh, really thinks the game at a really high level. Um, and she's got a great, I think, the right personality for, for the New York market, too, and that she's got a toughness about her. You know, her, she comes from, a, her parents were immigrants. Um, like, she she meshes really well with what New York is all about. And um, I, I'm excited to see kind of what she can do on the court, because New York has a ridiculously young team now. I'm excited to see what she can do on the court, but I'm also excited to see how she kind of handles the pressure and, um 
you know, everything that involves being a New York athlete, because I think it's a place where she will in particular really thrive. Yeah, no, that's, that's exciting and, and, and something that will be really fun to watch. And I, I think it leads into to another area that I wanted to visit on. It's just in, 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 you know, back with, with you and talk about your impact on the sport, just your, you have this amazing crossover appeal that even like when you played and, and, and not to kind of rewind, but back in that, I remember after you won the championship in the Olympics, I mean, you're on Letterman and I mean, like I re, and I still can, uh, re, remember that in, in just kind of your, uh, your, your draw to that. And then still now in, in your, uh, media days now, uh, start on the sideline reporter calling games in studio stuff. Like it leads me to, I think there's kind of two people that it doesn't matter whether it's women's or men's basketball, you, and then obviously like Doris Burke and she's, um, Again, for fans that watch the NBA game that listen, I mean, she's the premier of the premiers, and it doesn't matter that she's uh, male, female. Uh, she's unbelievable, just her knowledge and the respect, and I think you can see the respect of other players. And I think um, much like which I think people draw and, and watch from your insight and just kind of your draw to that, talk a little bit about Doris and just how you think she, in her position of calling on the NBA side – what she does to carry the torch also as, as we're talking about the growth of the women's game. Yeah. Doris is the best. Um, I'm really, really lucky in that when I first started, um, you know, when I retired from the WNBA, I, my last season was 2003 and the following year, um, I first started, got an opportunity to, um, to do stuff with ESPN as a sideline reporter for WNBA games. And I was really, really lucky in that, most of the times that I was working, Doris Burke was my analyst. And because when you get the job at ESPN, at least in those days, it was, all right, we've hired you to be the sideline reporter, one of them, for WNBA, go. They don't tell you how to do it. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they, don't give you, they don't give you any idea. They tell you how to book your travel, and that's it. And um, so I just remember my first game, I was a sideline reporter for a Washington Mystics game. Shamika Holdsclaw was early in her career. And I'm just looking at Doris like, what do I do? And she, and literally, she was saying, all right, during timeouts, you know, just go and kind of stand behind the huddle um, and see if, you know, listen to what the coaches say. And if there's anything that you think is interesting that'll make a good report, let us know. You'll do interviews at this point. You know, you'll talk to players in the morning at shoot around. You know, if there's if anything that you learn um, pertains to what we're talking about during the game, you can add, like, literally she was the only one who ever told me what to do. And, um, and so then I, be, I was a sideline reporter um, during, the, during the college season in the same thing. Mark Jones was the play-by-play, and Doris Burke was the analyst. And so I learned so much not only from her giving me advice, but just listening to her during games. And um, her knowledge is spot on, of course. Not only was she a great point guard at Providence, she was an assistant coach as well, and she just sees the game um, – she sees the game and um but also the way she was able to really um articulate what she wanted to in very few words like when you listen to doris she doesn't talk a ton mm-hmm. but she says exactly what you need to hear in few and in, in the fewest amount of words which is what you need in a fast-paced sport like basketball um so she's always been really really good and gotten better and better and better and better and um and so you know she was exactly the person we needed to be calling high-profile um, 
men's college games. And then they get the opportunity to, co- to call NBA games because, of course, as we talked about already, there's going to be people who hated on her just because of the fact that she was a woman. Yep. But, but her commentary was always spot on and tight and good and funny and everything you needed to be. So go ahead and take your shots at her for being a woman because you're not going to be able to take your shots at her for not being a good analyst. And, you know, when people watch games, there's certain analysts, their styles that you prefer or, or might not prefer. Like, I do. I love listening to Bill Walton. I think he's hilarious. I know he might not be some other people's cup of tea. So it's all kind of subjective. But you can never, nobody can ever fault Doris's knowledge of the game or how she calls the game. So she's really um, done an amazing, I mean, she's done an amazing job, and, and you know, as the woman who's kind of leading the way for all of us doing this. And and yeah, it's um, like you have to give credit like to somebody like LeBron because those guys, um, the biggest stars in the NBA, treat her with so much respect. And so, what is the you know average fan who um, wants to criticize her? What are you going to say when like LeBron respects her and is really good when when she's interviewing him or uh, whoever else it might be? Like those guys respect her, and if they have her respect then um, and the coaches have her respect, then that's all that matters. I mean, I, I think the world of Doris, I, she's just so, so good at what she does. No, that's perfectly said. And I, I, I think back to the night that the NBA shut down, which then obviously was the, you know, the, the really, I think the, the one that, that initiated all the shutdown. I wouldn't have rather had anybody on the broadcast than her. Uh, to, to yeah. art- articulate just what was going on real time in the moment and kind of putting a bow on it. And she was just uh, seamless and just was, was fantastic. And uh, no, I, I, and, and was doing it all while she herself had COVID. I know but she didn't find out like, you know, didn't get the positive results till later, but yeah, she heard incredible that, that that day was, was battling it. I mean, um, but yeah, that's just, that's difficult. <laughs> no, it's and, and so with with um, with Bechtel, uh, you know, I, 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 he's a, a tremendous fan of hers, and uh, and so I, I've had conversations with Mark just because uh, he's one, obviously, in 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 all of his time in, in in being in the business from that side that I I totally trust uh, in 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 uh, what what he talks about and who he thinks is brilliant, and 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 so and I'm kind of. John and and so she's just she's fantastic and uh, it's we'll, we'll be we'll be excited to kind of get back to where she's on the microphone, uh, but I, I, again and that's one of the things and back on with your crossover appeal and I think it's kind of like I, that's what I'm excited about continuing to follow you and in, in, in on your path and I I go back and I, I back to Bechtel's wedding back in 2012 uh, it was this really small thing up in in Brooklyn and. So we came up from Huntsville for it, and I have one of my really good friends, a guy named Lawrence Pippins, and he, like, he's the you know big bravado talks and all this, and he was shook in his sh- he couldn't speak when and because he was a massive fan of yours <laughs> playing in Mark in typical fashion, like brought him over to introduce him, and he just could it was just that we were joking about it yesterday because I told him uh, we were going to do the call, and I told him I. 1000% was going to put that on, on the microphone. So <laughs> he would, it just this, you know, guy down here in Huntsville, Alabama, that was the, the Rebecca Lobo fan. Um, let's, cause I don't want to run out of time in, in visit and, and, and kind of wrap up with, 
spending a few minutes on, again, what was drawn to me initially with you of, of wanting to visit is just with on youth sports and on the uh, development of girls and boys and playing basketball. And um, you have four, three girls and a boy, and coach all their teams. But I guess let, let's talk first with just, because this is one thing I'm, I'm really curious about, just your balance of how you pull that off for one. Uh, that would be tough enough if you just worked a typical uh, eight to five where you didn't travel. Um, but the fact that you're all over the place and doing that, how, how I mean, that it's probably why it's taken five months for us to get, to get together to do this. But like, how do you, how do you manage that? Like, first of all, from just being a mom and being a, uh, you know, celebrity career person on the microphone to, to do that. It's, um, it's a ton of time management. It's, <laughs> my winters, are, my winters are really, it, it's, my husband doesn't think that it's funny, but I, I see the humor in it because winter is my busiest time of year in terms of my work. Because, um, you know, it's women's college basketball season. So I'm in the studio every Sunday and I'm either in the studio or on site on Mondays calling games and then Thursdays I'm calling games. And then I also make it my busiest time of year in life because, as you said, I coach. Now my oldest is in high school, so I don't coach her anymore. But I coach all of the other kids and and they many of them play on multiple teams. Like they'll play on their school team and they'll also play on the town travel team. Um, but I love it. So it's, you know, Monday through Friday, every single day of the week, I am coaching one of my kids' teams after after school or um, or maybe back. Oftentimes it's like, you know, I'm coaching from 3.30 to 5 and then also coaching from 6 to 7.30 or, or that sort of thing. Um, so it's it's busy. Um, and, but I look at it as, you know, it's also time that I'm, I'm with that child. Um, and, and I love it and, and they haven't expressed too much hate <laughs> in terms of me coaching them. Um, but th- there's been years where like I coach them all, all week long practice, practice, and then all of them will only have games on Sundays. So I miss all of their games oh, wow. because I'm in Bristol in the studio on Sunday. So I'm really lucky that I've had this the same group, like of, of, parents who have helped me coach um i've got one dad who has helped me coach for the past eight or nine years different um different teams because his kids match up at the same age as mine and um and it's funny because like you know we'll go through the practice but you know we're doing our skill development but but also you know as we're getting ready to play games we'll do some you know game prep component and then I can't even be there for the game <laughs> so I'll be I'll be sitting in the studio in Bristol and there'll be you know this really close game coming down to the wire and I'm watching that because I'm gonna have to talk about it and then at the same time I'm checking my phone to see what the score is from you know a sixth grade boys um youth basketball game but um I I, I love it I love it and uh and you know there's just so many things about youth sports that can be frustrating and um that, you know, don't bring out the best in people, but there are so many things that do. And, uh, including just watching kids from, from day to day. And, and I, I was even thinking this past season, my son's in sixth grade and, and as I've coached these kids, um, they start in fifth grade. So I coach them in fifth grade and then I coach them this year in sixth grade. And, and for much of the season, all I could think was like, this is my last time coaching these kids as little boys, because next year, many of them are no longer going to be little boys. You know, their voices mm-hmm. are going to be changing. The all Everything's going to be changing. And like, 
And I'm just enjoying this so much, like this process of not only coaching the kids and, and my daughters as well, but like watching them turn into the people they're going to become. You know, my, my oldest daughter, who's a sophomore in high school now, I started coaching her and her friends um, in second grade. So I saw like these little tiny kids, these little people who are now turning into um, women. And it's like, you just hope that you've had some kind of a positive impact on these kids um, along the way and, and haven't had too much of a negative impact. That's <laughs> part of it too. Um, but I love it. I just absolutely, um, I love the coaching piece of it. And, um, you know, I, my husband, Steve, Steve will, you know, like when we talk about when the kids are out of the house, he's not going to miss um, me being gone every night coaching, <laughs> but I, cer- I certainly will. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, well, I, I would imagine, because uh, every every you know they all have their individual personalities, to have four. Uh, obviously, your oldest you don't coach now, but just the the differences between each of them and uh, and and whatever it, that that has to be challenging for you to be able to kind of flow between personalities of coaching and developing, but still trying to keep you know some consistent common thread between all that. Yeah, it is. It is because like all of my kids have very different personalities and they all want to be coached um, very differently. You know, um, I don't know if you've experienced this. The hardest thing for me as a coach is when my kid um, is, it has a a trait of a player and it's a trait that I can't stand. And it's not like, (laughs) it's not, and it's not about their game. It might be about their effort. It may be about their way they respond to coaching. It may be about something else, but that's kind of just how their personality works. Mm -hmm. And I have to navigate that because it's like, man, like I hated when I had a teammate who had that particular trait and it drives me crazy that my kid has that particular trait, but at the same time, that's my kid. And they're still only, you know, 13 years old. So I got to figure out how to work around that. Right. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, like you just, you know, and, and too, like, I, I pretty much never talk about, you know, like once we get in the car to go home, I might say, Oh, you had a great practice. You did great today, but that's it. Or even after a game, like if they've, you know, cause I've got to separate cause I still mm-hmm. number one, I'm their mom. I'm, I'm their mom. That's the most important part. And I can't let, you know, the coaching part of my brain, um, impact that. And mm-hmm. I think that has to be like the number one, <laughs> the number one thing. Spe- speaking of the coaching part, has that ever been something that you've come close to doing to, that, that on, from a professional standpoint, whether at the collegiate level or the professional, or is it, is it, have you've always been very, uh, focused on more on the broadcasting side? The one thing I always knew as a player was that I did not want to coach. Okay. I knew that um, I couldn't, like college coach, recruiting, I couldn't do. Um, it wouldn't be something that I'd be interested in. Uh, even profe- like it, I, I, that was never a desire of mine. I, I've always loved the broadcasting side of it. But then when my, my oldest started playing, like, her, you know, there's a second grade team at her school, they need a coach. Of course, I'm going to volunteer. And then I realized this is a lot of fun, you know, like, like with one of my kids, um, you know, it was midway through the season, I think in fourth grade. And one of the kids on the team scored her first bucket of her life. And she just stopped, jumped up and like bear hugged uh, one of her other teammates, you know, as the, as the play is still going on. 
And um, and I remember thinking at the time, this is the reason for all of this. Like, this kid's going to remember this forever. It's her first basket. Like, this is an amazing moment. And, um, and like, this is why you do it, because there's some really, um, you know, lifelong memories that you're going to help these kids make. No, I, that's... That's right. In, that's that's right in my groove of, of, of beliefs of and, and I would think this too back to, to yours. Um, and you talk about the the balance between coach and then being uh, mom. That the fact that I, I can't even begin to imagine the uh, uh, pressures either you know kind of put upon them or from from afar of being you know, the, the children of Rebecca Lobo, that there just had to be times through that that's like, oh, it's just, you know, they're playing because it's it's her or that, and that, that to, for, for them to all have the love for the sport, to be playing uh, and going through it still, that you're doing something right, that they've not been like, ah, I'm just going to go play soccer. I just want to go play volleyball or field hockey or, you know, baseball, whatever it might be, that the, the balance... But you know what? Like, if they did that, that would be okay too. No, no, like that's, no it, yeah. That's you know, that's it's totally to me like it's totally their path. I've I've enjoyed watching them play and enjoyed coaching them and all of that. Um, but that my my oldest, who's fifteen, is a sophomore and doesn't play basketball anymore. She does play volleyball. She plays tennis. She has other interests and and like it was hard for me simply because I miss watching Mm -hmm. her play. Like one of the joys of my life is watching my kids play, whether it's basketball or anything else. Like I just enjoy that so much. So I miss that. But at the same time, like good for her. How hard was it? Well, how hard was it for a 15 year old to make that decision to tell me, to tell her coaches, like, like that took a lot of courage too, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's, it's like you, you, and, and and I have to say, like, I, I was I kind of was lost in my own brain thinking, oh, you know, they don't have pressures on them because they're my kid. You mm-hmm. know, I don't ever hear that. I don't ever see that. And then I was coaching my oldest. I think she was in eighth grade. We're at like some um, AAU local tournament. And like she got her shot blocked or something. And parents erupted <laughs> like and, and I just remember thinking, why are people cheering so loudly because of. Uh, an eighth grader just got a shot blocked. And that was the first time it was like a punch to my gut. Yeah. Oh, because it's my kid. Mm-hmm. Like, how unfair is that? Like, and what's wrong with a bunch of 40 year olds that they're cheering because, you know, a kid blocked my kid's shot. Like, um, so like that was a real kind of eye opening moment for me saying, Oh yeah, my kids probably do have a little bit more pressure than, yeah. <laughs> than, num- <laughs> than number 10. <laughs> that is uh that, that's like that kind of goes too to what i know we were uh one of the things that i can continually think about as we go through this not being able to play because you know we're right in the time frame where all of us on a weekend would be at some type of travel tournament and and playing and uh like that's my hope my hope is you know, whenever it is, whether it's June, July, August, September, whenever the the time that kids can get back together and get playing is that we don't have 40-year-old parents with GoPro cameras on their heads and just yelling at the ref every play and yelling at the coach. Like, that's that's kind of my hope and prayers, that we, we have you, a um, appreciation of, you know, and, but my fear is that we're going to play two weeks and they're going to be right back doing the same thing. Now listen. You can hope for that, but you also know, you also know deep down that that there's no chance. Like yeah, people are just gonna go back to being people. No, I know. And um, 
And that includes like the very worst of the AAU parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It, 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 that's, I, and I, I come back to that very quickly that it's like, you know, we're going to have that and it'll be that first game and everyone will be, and then it'll be, you suck. My kids changing teams or you can't play or kid parents screaming at kids for not being better. And, um, but it's one of those things. Um, uh, before we, before we close kind of just, if there's, I, I like to do something we, we, we kind of call it like the three point shot. That's kind of like three keys of whatever, uh, of something, but in, in pertaining to like development or with kids or just macro themes that you use with the four of yours, like what's important to you that you think would be good kind of tidbits. If, if this is a high school coach listening or a youth coach or whoever that they can kind of take forward to try to better themselves that, that are kind of pillars for you. Um, Gosh, I don't know that I have anything that I can specifically say. Um, I think one thing, in, and maybe not for coaches so much as for parents, that um, Steve and I have really talked with each other about um, a lot the last year or two, um, was in, in terms of youth sports, let's stop looking at things as a means to an end and appreciate that this is the end. Like, seventh grade little league baseball game. This isn't the means to an end. This isn't the means to a college scholarship or starting job in high school or the major league baseball. This is the end. Let's soak up and enjoy every second of watching this kid play seventh grade little league or eighth grade um, AAU or ninth grade tennis, whatever it is. Let's, if, if everybody would just stop thinking about youth sports as a means to an end and appreciate you know, the kids scoring the first bucket or or the way one teammate helped another up off the floor. Um, let's just look at it that way, and I think we would all appreciate sports in a different light, especially um, at the youth level. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and, and I guess when I'm coaching, one of the things that I, I find is um, really important to me, and it's something I learned at UConn, is that there is a right and right, wrong way to do things. And I'm not talking about how you run your offense or how you play your defense, but like when a kid falls on the floor in a basketball game and the whistle blows, he should have four teammates there to pick him up. When somebody passes you the ball and you score, when you're running down the floor, you acknowledge them, you point at them, you give them a high five. Um, like when, when somebody's at the free throw line and they make or miss their shot, you go over and give them five in encouragement. Like there is a right way to play. And, um, and I've tried to talk about that a lot with the teams that I coach. Um, because when, when you see a youth team that's doing things the right way and they're playing against a team where, some, you know, it's, a kid falls on the ground and he doesn't have any hands to pick them up, it's really, really striking. And it really does help um, the team that's doing it the right way. Uh, build a real camaraderie and real teamwork and that sort of thing that I think is so important and extends far beyond their life as an athlete. Um, so I think that's, that's a big thing for coaches. Always do things the right way um, so that, you know, these kids, even if you, you lose the game, are going to leave feeling good about the way they comported themselves. No, no, I, that's that's that just feels like we should just say amen and then just stack it up like that is uh that's a perfect uh conclusion and well said and and love every bit and um listen i I really appreciate uh the time uh like i said i i've i've been a fan from afar for a long time and then 
obviously through a little bit more familiarity through uh, through friends and 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 just enjoy all of your work now that you do, um, and it's been a great time. Uh, and it, I, I again I, I mentioned it earlier. Everybody needs to go follow you on Twitter at Rebecca Lobo. Um, I love this the profile of the tall Americano. That's <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. Uh, they can find your ball and chain podcast through that with your husband. And, and again, uh, I hope uh, I hope you and the family continue to do well, stay stay healthy, and uh, I can't wait to the uh, the hopes of the WNBA season cranking up soon and, and, and getting to hear you and, and seeing you on the television. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, take care, Rebecca. All right, you too. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pro One Dialogue. Uh, just an absolute uh, thrill to get to visit with uh, Hall of Famer, uh, Olympic gold medalist, uh, Rebecca Lobo. Um, if you don't subscribe to Pro One Dialogue, uh, I invite you to do so. We can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, um, as we all have some extra time on our hands now, I invite you to go back and do a deep dive through some of the, the previous guests um, and be in line for, uh, for our future ones. So uh, once again, thank you and uh, stay safe. And we will talk soon.